discover more compassionate relations with human beings, but how can we develop compassionate relations with the other creatures with whom we share this planet? There's an us before the wound, there's an us before oppression, and let to be pleasure is a way that we tap down into that. everyone. Welcome to the Total Liberation podcast. I am here with some very good friends of the show, some collaborators of the show, Nicole from the Pink Spots podcast and YouTube channel, and Catherine from the Catherine YouTube channel. And the three of us actually have a leftist sex stream channel called A Little to the Left as well. So welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. (laughs) And we're very excited today to talk about this super controversial, uh, annoying AF topic <laughs> very that excited. has been dominating the airwaves and just uh, like sucking our souls dry. The more that we get into it and the more that we just look at the comments, the public reaction, just the circus that this has become... And we thought that it would be a really good opportunity to talk about a lot of serious issues um, related to domestic violence, intimate partner violence, uh, patriarchy, misogyny, the Me Too movement, um, and really just the implications of all of this for survivors moving forward. So there's a number of things we're going to touch on today, um, basically looking at just, again, like the rampant misogyny in the public discourse you know, the muddying of the waters about the systemic and patriarchal nature of domestic violence and intimate partner violence, menpathy, the idea of a perfect victim, just so many things that I think are really important and that are being um, just, you know, dragged and just misrepresented throughout this entire case to the point that I think it's really, really dangerous. Um, I don't know if either of you have anything to add, but yeah, I feel like this is definitely capturing the public imagination right now in a way that I I think is extremely dangerous. And we're we really want to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have anything to add. I think you summarized it really well. Yeah, I agree. I'm just really glad that we're having this conversation. I'm glad we all kind of got into this at the same time. And uh, I think it's just very important for as many people as possible to be talking about this, mm-hmm. because as we'll get into, I think today, uh, there's so much content being made that's anti-Amber and just making a spectacle out of her experiences, the trial itself, the concept of domestic abuse, and we're in the algorithm often not being shown Uh, you know, the other side of that, people trying to do a more thoughtful analysis. So I think Mm -hmm. as many voices as we can get on this topic, the better. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was the first thing that I wanted to touch on is just the absolute circus that is going on right now. And just this question of why is this everywhere I turn? Like what is going on with the algorithm? Um, I was telling Nick and Catherine uh, off air that Prior to this trial happening, I was not watching any Johnny Depp and Amber Heard content. I mean, maybe like 
a few videos here or there, but that's really not the content that I'm usually watching. And suddenly when the trial started, I could not, I could not open my phone um, on any app without seeing just everything to do with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Like um, everything I'm seeing is uh, as well pro Johnny um, and very, very much so, you know, hashtag justice for Johnny, all of the shit about Amber Every single video that I see, um, you know, they, they have Johnny Depp sitting there looking like this angel and they have Amber Heard, like they never just show her sitting normally, smiling, having a normal face. Her face is always twisted up in some kind of cringe, you know, expression. Um, it just feels very like Gamergate, like this, just this characterization of this person that these people don't know, you know, as just being this like absolutely you know psychotic person and just this like disgusting evil woman <laughs> that's just coming for johnny and it's just it's just so apparent like the the biases that are going on right now and I, it's not even just on the internet like whenever i go to the grocery store whenever i go to a, a drugstore anywhere um all the magazines all the tabloids and it seems to all be running kind of like the same narrative you know people are making tiktoks left and right they are making fun of her rape allegations they're making um you know memes about it and how her rape story is actually their sexual fantasy i mean it's like disgusting what's happening um, you know, people are profiting off of this. It's just like, what is happening? Like, why is this everywhere? And I don't know, like, if, if you guys have the same experience, but I mean, I guess, Nicole, you just mentioned, but yeah, like, when I'm trying to look for even just finding, um, you know, just just clips of the trial without any commentary, it's actually really difficult. Like, it's really hard to find content that isn't being shown through a pro Johnny lens, or like has someone commenting on it. Um, that's pro Johnny, right? Like it's, it's hard to even just find like the basic neutral facts of the trial. Yeah, I had a very similar experience to you because uh, before this, I had never once looked into anything to do with Johnny and Amber. I barely even knew who Amber was. And suddenly I was getting all of these recommendations on YouTube for pro Johnny stuff. And I got really sucked into it at first and was really kind of thinking oh maybe it's true maybe Johnny is the victim here and um yeah it's it's so strange because uh, considering the kind of content that I usually watch um the algorithm is usually feeding me more left-wing type of content so it doesn't make any sense at all that I would be receiving <laughs> all this um pro Johnny like propaganda um, I did read that there's some evidence that Depp's team has used social media bots in the past and is currently using them. And I know that there's like a lot of ad dollars being used to promote anti-Amber propaganda. Apparently Ben Shapiro's team is also promoting some things like that. And I read that NBC News did a profile analysis and found that from 2,300 Twitter profiles in relation to the Depp Heard trial, 93% of users are in support of Johnny, which mm. is just a, such an astonishing, um, yeah, such an astonishing number. And I agree. I think it's disgusting the how like rape testimonies are being made into these sexy TikToks and just like the memification of the whole thing completely ridiculing her because even if it turned out that amber wasn't telling the truth which we don't believe 
like why would you ever make fun of someone who's giving a testimony like uh, yeah anyway we can get mm-hmm. into that later but yeah and I'll just say I think it's also it's just so difficult that trials are and I think we'll get maybe a little bit more into this later but trials are such a specific thing run a very specific way and I think it's so dangerous that social media is pulling clips out of trials is misunderstanding how evidence works, how testimony works. It's just mm-hmm. creating this, um, you know, like Mixie, you and I have talked about all the, you know, clinical psychologist wipes the floor with Amber Heard's lawyer <laughs> kind yeah. of stuff. And it's like, even, even if there is a moment in a trial where it's like, okay, this witness was really, you know, and that's what happened in that instance. It's like, yes, that witness was very well-spoken, you know, had a certain air about her. Let's face it, she's conventionally attractive. But when you actually look at like what she said, some of the most problematic testimony in the trial came from her. Mm -hmm. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's this way of like, I guess, you know, taking something out of context, we're talking about As of right now, I think there's like 21 days of seven or eight hours of trial footage, I guess, minus breaks um, that you can watch and you're watching like a 15 minute clip. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is supposed to make you, you know, not that it doesn't happen in cases where there maybe is some slam duck testimony or piece of evidence, but often in cases it's, it's really about accumulating evidence. It's about you know, systematically going through what's been said and what's been presented and, you know, working through what is true and what's not true and building a case for a jury. And then we just have the general public right now acting like, oh, this one moment from this two hour audio recording proves everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's just not how these things work. So I think this has always been an issue, but I think now with TikTok, like it just seems to be even more accelerated that people are looking for these little moments to pull out and make it seem like this is a whole thing. When you're looking at like 30 seconds of four days of testimony mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know, I think what's being missed too, is there's such a good critique to be had about how flawed our system is. And you're missing it out on that for these moments of like, oh yeah, gotcha. Or this yeah. is, you know, this proves everything. And it's like, it it doesn't though. That's not mm-hmm. how it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was telling you both before, but um, I've talked about my court experience on this podcast before. And um, during my court experience, there was so much valid information that was so, that I felt was so necessary for my um, case against the sexual perpetrator who I was accusing of sexual violence and so much like really really significant information I was just not allowed to include as part of my evidence even though there were many people who could corroborate what I was saying because for whatever reason they had decided um, that it couldn't that there wasn't enough um, validity or there was not enough evidence to back that up. And yeah, I wonder the same with this trial, like we're getting snippets of audio recordings that might make Amber look really bad in in certain situations, but we don't know the full context of those conversations. We don't know how much evidence wasn't allowed to be included in this trial because 
yeah, for whatever reason. I mean, we can even see it with how many objections there are for the mildest things. So we can only imagine mm -hmm. how much extra context and information is completely missed out of this. And especially when it comes to situations where when it comes to domestic violence, so rarely is there actually ever like any of that real hard evidence because a lot of the time it happens behind closed doors where there isn't many people around. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that makes it like extra, extra difficult. And then I also am getting frustrated that everyone's saying, oh, well, like, I don't know, all these people testifying on behalf of Johnny, but they're also employed by him. And then wondering how much they're, they have, like have to sign certain agreements that mean that they can't actually physically say anything against Johnny and like how that comes into it because they're afraid of being sued. And I don't know, I don't know enough about the system to know how much that plays into it. But yeah, like we can't take any of this. We have to take all of it with like a huge pinch of, pinch of salt. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's typically the issue with domestic violence and IPV is that if you do have people who can testify for you, they're going to be like a family member or someone mm -hmm. that the court is then going to say is, or the opposing lawyer is going to say is really biased towards you. And it's like, but it's such a private matter and it's such an intimate thing that like, those are the only people who probably know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I mean, if any of his staff are paying attention right now to what's going on and how Amber's being dragged uh, through, you know, all facets of the media, um, yeah, they probably don't want to get sued for defamation either. So, um, mm. so anyway, but yeah, I, I was just going to say that this, what, what Nikki, you were talking about, like the way that these clips are being taken um, and everything is just being re reduced to these little sound bites. Um, it's really effective, right? Like it's, it is really effective. Catherine, I, I'm the same as you. Like initially I wasn't really engaging very much with the trial. And because my timeline was just flooded with these like short little clip videos that were all super pro Johnny and all, you know, making Amber just seem absolutely gross and ridiculous and cringy. Um, I too had the impression that like, oh yeah, Amber's a liar. Um, you know, this is terrible. Johnny's the victim. And uh, yeah, basically just, uh, you know, going along with the like hashtag justice for Johnny kind of a thing, just buying into a lot of that hype because it did make it seem really real. But I will say that, um, you know, the more that I dig into the case, the more that I watch, the more that I read, the more that I actually take a look at the evidence, um, especially like the evidence that came out in the first trial um, held in the UK, I'm like, shit guys like this is actually really really dark really fucked up um i actually do believe um a lot of i mean if not you know everything that amber is saying and i think that's going to be one of those cases where we look back where it's like a britney spears case or whoever you know jessica simpson monica Lewinsky, like just all these women that you know five ten years later were like shit we really did these people dirty and we did it because of just absolutely rampant misogyny and the way that like the media takes these things and just runs with them, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I just want to point out too, for everyone that we also have to remember that now we've gotten into Amber's side of things, but Johnny went first. Mm -hmm. So Johnny benefited from being able to create the narrative and then have the support of social media backing him up before Amber had a chance to present anything. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So there's this skewing as well that by the time she goes to testify, there's a lot of people who are now heavily invested, like publicly invested in not believing her. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you've created, if you're, there are people who actually are making money off of, you know, being against her. But even if not, you've probably been posting, you know, to whatever social media platform you use. And now you're known as someone who doesn't side with her. And we all know as activists that that can create a pretty deep psychological attachment to Mm -hmm. the political view that you have, because then you'll be embarrassed, you know, or feel that you somehow lose respectability if you admit that you were wrong. So Mm -hmm. I just think people aren't paying attention to that because I've, I've seen a lot of comments where they're like, she's lying and Johnny proved so much and she hasn't proved anything. And it's like, I've, I've read comments from, you know, lawyers and other people who actually understand trials and the legal system. And they're like, she's actually done an amazing job. She's Mm -hmm. actually provided a lot of evidence. She's been a perfect witness. Um, Johnny's team has done basically like he's told a bunch of lies that he was caught in and his evidence isn't adding up and his witnesses were not good, but because there's this narrative and because he got to go first, it set the stage for people to believe that whatever he's saying is true and whatever she's saying is not true. Mm -hmm. And to also not understand that the way that she's testifying is actually how you're supposed to testify. She's actually doing quite a good job because, you know, they have this idea of like the way that Johnny testified is how you testify. Mm -hmm. And I think her team is just not as good. I really don't like her lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um, They've Mm -hmm. done a couple of things well, but overall, I think, I mean, I was just watching a replay where they're the uh, woman Elaine is getting yelled at by the judge because she keeps calling trying to put stuff into evidence that's like already in evidence. Mm. And she was calling uh, their witness by one of Johnny's witnesses names multiple times. And, Mm. and I mean, (laughs) I would probably do that too, if I was a lawyer, but that's why I'm not a lawyer. So it's just, (laughs) it's a little difficult. It just seems like Amber, I don't think her team is maybe hammering home the points as well. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, that's not usually how trials work in a lot of ways. I think people don't understand how boring trials often are and just how Mm -hmm. tedious they are. So yeah, anyway, the social media circus, creating a narrative that's supported with all these clips, but also that Johnny got to go first. And obviously he's the one who has fame and notoriety on his side. So -hmm. people are already inclined to believe him, but they also got to kind of set the stage that I just don't see what Amber could have done at that point, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I I don't see how she would have been believed or accepted by any of these people at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every little twist of her face is captured on video and and like a million memes are made out of it. And and people are just like, oh, this is the moment. This is the moment that Amber realizes she, she messed up. Or this is the moment where Amber cracks a smile, proving that like, she's a malignant narcissist, you know, like just like this crazy stuff. (laughs) And that's, that's what I've been reading, you know, cause I've been looking through like, I stand with Amber Heard tweets just to kind of, I mean, a lot of them are vile because it's, you know, people using the handle cynically but um there are people who are like I you know I'm a lawyer or whatever and like 
even in this clip that it's not doing what the clip says that it's doing yeah mm-hmm. you know it'll be like oh like this witness destroys the lawyer and and they're like but they didn't actually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or or they're like johnny's team isn't actually saying anything like that yeah. they're spectacle but they're not actually proving anything so yeah it's just trial literacy combined with johnny's just enormous amount of fame you know mm-hmm. long-standing place in hollywood all of his money, um, probably I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, his team had um, tapped into social media in some way to help this along. And I just don't see what Amber could have done by the time she took the stand to Mm -hmm. have been believed by most people. It reminds me of the um, Brian Stevenson quote that you're more likely to be incarcerated if you're poor and innocent than rich and guilty. Mm-hmm. Wealth, not culpability, shapes outcomes. And um, I think Princess Weeks, whose YouTube video on the trial was amazing, um, mentioned um, the example of OJ Simpson and how that was a case of a more charismatic, likable group of lawyers and perpetrator who despite so many, so many, so many, so much evidence against him of previous allegations and incidents of violence um, was able to be found innocent. And yeah, and I think this, it kind of reminds me of that with Johnny of like just a very charismatic person, very charismatic, conventionally attractive um, team <laughs> of surrounding him and like yeah like it's and the spectacle and the wealth etc um it's just like helping him to become seen as innocent yeah I've seen so many clips where I'm like that did not do what you think it did um yeah I just watched both of the psychologist um testimonies and on on the advice of you Nick and um I know that we want to get into like the ableism of all of this a little bit later but yeah I mean the psychologist that was called I mean first of all also like why was Johnny Depp not made to go through any kind of psychological assessment that doesn't make any sense but the psychologist that um you know Dr. Shannon Curry that evaluated Amber Heard you know, everyone was saying, yeah, like this, this person wiped the floor with Amber's lawyer and I watched it. And actually Amber's lawyer was catching her in all of these inconsistencies. Like she would ask a question and, um, Dr. Curry would say, no, that's not correct. And then the, the lawyer would, would say, okay, let's look at page such and such lines, such and such of the transcript of, you know, when you already testified under oath about this exact thing, and I asked this exact same question, and what was your answer at that time? And then she was like, oh, well, my answer at that time was no, or yes, you know, like, it completely contradicted what she was saying. Like, every single, like, almost every single question she was asking, um, this woman was being caught in, like, a lie or an inconsistency. And then she was um, asking her if she recalled, like, all the testimony from all these other practitioners that had worked with Amber for a really long time. Um, And she very conveniently didn't recall anything when the people were saying that it was very clear to them that Amber was scared for her life and that they were worried for her and, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, she could only recall the things that were like pro Johnny, obviously. So I thought she looked terrible. Um, And meanwhile, everyone's making these compilation clips of like, this woman's destroyed Amber's lawyer and um, all the comments are just, you know, whatever. And similarly, watching um, 
their psychologist expert witness, um, you know, I thought like he did a fairly good job. I mean, like, I know people were like, oh, his demeanor was off, um, but he was being completely antagonized by Johnny's lawyer. So he was getting frustrated. But similarly, I, I was just like, all of the memes and everything was just like crazy psychiatrist calls Johnny an idiot or whatever. And if you actually watch it, like that's totally not not the case. And actually what he was saying was I found very disturbing. And anyway, we can get more into that later, but it just goes to show like how how toxic and effective like the meme memification of this is. Because if you're just watching these clips and these things, you're being led to believe a certain thing. And if you actually take a look at the the transcript and the evidence, you're like, holy shit, like this, this tells a completely different story. Um, and it's really, really disturbing. Yeah, and the psychologist, Dr. Hughes, I thought did an absolutely incredible job as well. And then everything that you see online is, oh, Dr. Hughes gets destroyed and Dr. Hughes um, doesn't know what she's talking about, which is like completely, yeah, like just completely inaccurate from what was actually happening. But like you said, you start to actually believe this stuff when you're constantly having that bombarded to you online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I wanted to talk about uh, this idea of empathy, which kind of relates to everything we've just been talking about. Just um, this idea that as a society, we have so much empathy for men. Like we feel this really outsized need to really like coddle and take care of men. And if anything bad happens to a man, um, it just hits so much harder than if something bad happens to a woman, right? Um, and I think we see this very clearly in the disparity in how Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are being viewed despite the evidence coming up. So yeah, I think I wanted to just talk briefly about some of the evidence and what it's saying and the way that people are just conveniently ignoring it. So maybe we can start with like evidence of Johnny Depp's abuse that is being ignored. And there's honestly so, so much, it's hard to even know where to begin. But I think one of the first things that struck me that I wanted to mention was just the very clear difference in power dynamics in their relationship, especially how the relationship started. And uh, of course, a lot of this is coming from Amber's testimony, which I know people will say, well, she's just spinning her own lies or whatnot. But it is also reflected in Johnny's testimony and corroborated by others as well that, you know, First of all, I mean, just, yeah, the age difference between them, the fame difference between them, the money difference between them, and the fact that he hired her for this film, which to her at the time, who was extremely young in her very early 20s, really working her ass off, coming from a working class background, really trying to build up her career. Um, you know, this film was a really big deal to her. And he hires her for this film and, you know, pulls all the things that powerful men pull on impressionable young women. Like he invites her for, you know, drinks with him and the director of the film, apparently. And then the director of the film just conveniently isn't there. Um, it's like the oldest, the oldest play in the book. And then the way that he treated her on set 
um, you know, not only just the lavish gifts and whatnot, but the way that he was so um, sexually inappropriate with her and like intimately inappropriate with her um, and, you know, inviting her to his trailer, like lifting up her <laughs> dress and stuff, the way he kissed her on set, just, um, just being extremely creepy and inappropriate. And when you think about just the immense power differentials at play there and like how she was this extremely young like eager actress I I just found it really really quite disturbing it honestly felt like grooming behavior on his part and that combined with the absolute love bombing that he was doing at the beginning and just lavishing not only her but her entire family and all of her friends with these extremely expensive extravagant gifts just really trying to charm the pants off anyone who was closest to her again again just extremely extremely disturbing and he was in a relationship at the time right and like we're just we're supposed to just think that like he's not a super creepy misogynist dude like this person was just yeah, like half his age, he knew the power dynamics at play there. Uh, the fact that he calls her kid all the time, right? Like, I just think that when I heard that, I was just like, damn, like it, it just started to put into place like the, the dynamics that were at play, um, which then I think like really played out, you know, throughout the rest of her testimony, which I found really compelling. But I don't know if either of you have anything to say about that. But I felt, I felt like that was kind of like the first bit that I feel like no one's really even mentioning. And they're just like, oh, yeah, like, that that's all fine. Like, to me, this seems extremely problematic and extremely misogynist. Yeah, I just want to put it in context of their uh, Johnny's lawyer's opening statements, which framed Amber essentially it's almost like a Lolita defense. Um, she obviously wasn't underage, but the way that they framed it was she was this young, unknown, ambitious actress. Her ambition is something I want to talk about today as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, his perception of her ambition and that Johnny, you know, was, was with his partner and Amber was also married at the time to her wife um, and that, you know, basically that this, this young, beautiful, ambitious actress essentially seduced him, right? Like mm -hmm. she was super into him. She was very aggressive and came on to him and he eventually relented <laughs> and this is how mm -hmm. it's framed. And then I think, you know, that just stuck with me. Cause that was my first little red flag mm -hmm. that I was like, who cares? Like, I don't know. I, whenever a man's defense team has to bring up that the that he wasn't interested and that the woman just like kept pursuing him till he finally mm -hmm. gave in I'm, mm. especially when there's such a power dif differential I'm like hmm I you know it, it's not I'm still gonna listen to the evidence but I'm like okay I kind of know what you're trying to insinuate here yeah. And then I just feel like the, the, all of their witnesses, all of the testimony fell into this category of, yeah, she's this beautiful and he was just helpless, you know, because she was so beautiful and just so <laughs> persistent. And he's, you know, the victim of like her aggression, basically. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so that I just want to put that in context that when we all heard Amber's testimony and start to learn that at 22, 
this guy, I mean, she didn't even audition for him. He had her come and have a conversation with him, which is not inherently right or wrong. You know, it's fine. People can cast however they want to. But I think it's telling that, you know, her interaction with him, she like didn't really understand if she was going to audition. She didn't really understand what the context of the conversation was, how things were going to work. And I think that's how powerful people start to keep you unbalanced in their presence. You know, this is, she's trying to do a job and she goes and then she ends up talking to Johnny about like books for three hours and, Mm -hmm. you know, wine and all this other stuff. And then he starts plying her with gifts on set. But then in his testimony that, and this is why I believe Amber too, because there's so many pieces of her testimony that are actually confirmed by Johnny but he twists the meaning of them, but then he gets caught with like the evidence of his own actions. Mm-hmm. So this was one of those things that he was like, he tried to downplay that he was sending her gifts, but he had to admit that he did buy her all these gifts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's just, but he was trying to say like, oh, I didn't talk to her. Like we had no contact, like to set the scene for, you know, I wasn't pursuing her. I wasn't interested. She wasn't even a thought in my mind. But then he had to admit within that testimony that he was also sending her these lavish gifts, like these mm-hmm. limited edition books. He bought her a vintage bike and he ended up sending her after they stopped filming the dress that she wore in the film because she really loved it. And it's like that. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, OK, OK, dude. Yeah. Sure. I'm sure you sent all the male actors in the movie their favorite suit or whatever that they wore in the movie, too, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so I just want to put that in context is like part of the problem here is that his team is giving her this this um, succubus, you know, this like seductress, Mm -hmm. uh, femme fatale kind of like story and background. But if you listen to both of them her story just makes sense from what they're both saying and the evidence that you can see. Mm -hmm. And it just is very concerning to me that people like are so willing to go along with this narrative that they're not even hearing or understanding. Like it's, it's the time old uh, struggle that we all have of like, how is this poor working class 22 year old woman somehow making you this helpless man you know with like all of your power everything that you have um anyway and then I just also want to point out that the reason it's also significant that he was essentially love bombing her family as well is because that is a common tactic for abusers because then when you try to start saying there's issues in the relationship the people around you don't like the people closest to you don't want to believe it because Mm -hmm. they are benefiting from that relationship yeah. Mm-hmm. So you see that with Johnny, he's giving her, um, her entire family, but especially her sister, her mom and her dad, which are the you know people she's closest to. And her mom and her dad are very complicated situation, uh, which we might talk about. But, uh, you know, he's just lavishing them with gifts. He's charming their pants off. He's ingrating, integrating himself into the family. So you see that in later testimony that when the abuse has gotten bad and she feels like she needs to talk to someone about it, she's afraid to tell her family because they love him so Mm -hmm. much. So these things are really significant. And I think what gets, what gets lost online is not understanding how abuse and grooming work. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. these are all just very, very classic 
tactics that men use. I, and I, you know, it can be used by people who are not men, but I think we most often see it with men who have power and wealth. Uh, this is how they pull people into their world. And then you get someone who just has absolutely no way to get out. And Amber, I think, got very lucky that she had friends that she was able to rely on throughout her relationship with Johnny. Without that, I don't know what would have happened to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not only did he shower all her friends and family with so many gifts, but it seemed like he was kind of coercing many of them to sign NDA, and what I think he called it NDA um, agreements, but anyway, some sort of um, disclosure agreements that they couldn't say anything negative against Johnny. I mean, in her sister, Amber's sister's testimony, she said that Johnny had tried to get her to sign one of these agreements whilst Amber's sister was living there. And that's what led the sister to then decide that she was moving out. And yeah, thank God that she did, because if she had signed it, would that mean that she wouldn't have been able to testify on behalf of her sister? And then it makes you wonder how many other of Amber's friends or family did he kind of coerce into signing certain agreements which now means that they can't testify on her behalf or have to testify on Johnny's behalf instead Mm -hmm. and yeah I think the whole concept of this ambition and her pursuing him is also really interesting because it really feeds into that narrative of her being a gold digger and her um just like trying to seduce him so that she can um, convince him to marry her and then she's going to be able to take his money or that so that she gets roles because of him I thought it was really telling that Johnny mentioned that he got her the role in Aquaman as if he's the one like um, with all like the power and control here but then at the same time he's clearly also saying to her like I'll I'll take care of you I won't um, I don't, you don't need to take any roles. I'll just, mm-hmm. I'll just like, <laughs> I'll make sure that you're taken care of, which again is like a, a common abuse tactic. But like people online are commenting like, oh, he's just being a kind, chivalrous man. Uh. He's just trying to like, um, yeah, he's just trying to be sweet and kind. And and yeah, the whole concept of chivalry, uh, Nicole, you pointed this out. He made the comment of like, oh yeah, back when chivalry was allowed, I'm a chivalrous drunk gentlemen uh, from the south and like back when chivalry was loud but as you know like we know that there is no such thing as benevolent sexism it's still upholding these um toxic gender norms that still put men in a position of power over women so there is nothing actually benevolent or chivalrous um about it and yeah I think it's it's actually very smart that the that Johnny's team is using this um, concept of like yeah the Lolita the Lolita stereotype of um, him seducing her because it's like basically been the tale of oldest time with like Eve and Medusa and Lady Macbeth and mm-hmm. um, we've heard this over and over again of like the evil um, temptress that <laughs> seduces um, the man so like it's really tapping into something that's like deeply ingrained in our psychology from years of conditioning and yeah it's it's very it's very subtle um, but I, I totally agree Nicole I think that one of the biggest issues is just like lack of understanding 
of abuse dynamics in general and like not recognizing how these things come up and that's that also what frustrates me so much about the criminal justice system because it makes you wonder how many of the jury really have much of an understanding of um, abuse tactics or mm-hmm. how they're educated about that because surely that should I would have thought it would be good to have an expert in that can tell you okay these are common traits of domestic violence abuse tactics um you can decide for yourself who is exhibiting which one of these behaviors the the forensic psychologist that was called by amber heard's team Mm -hmm. which is who i meant had done such a good job i feel like she actually wiped the floor she wiped the floor with john's (laughs) lawyer um Yeah, Dr. Hughes was amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, you know, you had gone through all of Johnny's side of the case by that point. And the forensic psychologist they called in focused on personality disorder as inherently abusive. So again, we now have this trope of the crazy woman. And then you have this forensic psychologist who's very calmly trying to explain, like, slamming your hand on a table, creating noise, breaking things like these are also abusive. Mm -hmm. She talked about love bombing. She talked about all of these. And she even laughed. She's like, that's a colloquial that the young people are using. But (laughs) she was like, she was just so, um, she was just so not feeding into buzzwords or trying to be like, I feel that the other forensic psychologist was trying to feed into like our preconceptions about people Mm. and about abuse, where I felt like this forensic psychologist was trying very hard to be like, actually, these are all myths, or these are what people don't understand, or I'm going to speak in very um, clinical language, but it wasn't boring. But you know what I'm saying? She was like, oh, I don't want to feed into like love bombing. Sure. That's what like people on Twitter call it. But like, here's what it is and here's how it functions. And I think she did a really good job. And I just hope that people listened Mm -hmm. um, for themselves and their loved ones as much as for Amber, because I think, um, and my friend Chanel, shout out to Chanel, if you're listening, uh, we were talking about this case and I, my friend Chanel brought up, cause we were talking about like, why are so many women so ready to be against against Amber and to believe Johnny. And I think something Chanel said is very true, which is that if people had to admit that Johnny did abuse Amber and that these things are abusive, then they might have to look at their own relationships and be like, oh shit, Mm -hmm. they might have to recognize their own abuse. And, or I was thinking they might have to recognize their own abusive behavior mm-hmm. and see that dynamics they've created in their life are not healthy. And we know, again, I think from being leftists, you know, you, you learn pretty quickly that people are like in love with their own oppression. And mm. it's the most frustrating thing when you're trying to talk to people uh, about politics, about how systems of oppression work. They just, mm-hmm. a lot of people just seem so mired in wanting to stay oppressed. And I don't mm-hmm. mean that in a victim blaming way. I just mean that like, I guess that's how they're surviving under these systems. Um, and you know, you see the same in interpersonal relationships. You see people, if you're not psychologically ready to 
see and acknowledge abuse in your own life, then you're not going to be able to see it and acknowledge it in someone else. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're, you know, you're not just in a position where you're going to shrug your shoulders and walk away. You're, you're going to attack the other person who is challenging the fragile, you know, kind of protective barrier you've put up in your own mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like pick me girls and like the, the, all the tropes, it, it's that all plays into this because this is yeah. essentially about the patriarchy yet again. Mm-hmm. And so you're always going to have people who are like trying to be one of the good ones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely noticed that kind of cool girl trope propping up inside me when I was like in the more pro Johnny camp because I was like, Ugh, why are people looking like more into this this is it's like it's not that deep like come on like um who cares I don't know I just like noticing all the all this stuff inside me that was like just wanting to be able to like talk with one of the guys about what a crazy bitch this um Amber had person is <laughs> like yeah I would never be like that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well yeah. I think this just definitely goes to show like how impossible it is to find anything that makes Amber look you know good in in any way at all um because yeah Nick when you suggested look like watch the uh forensic psychologist testimony I, you know, Googled like forensic psychologist testimony, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. And um, at first, like literally all I was getting was Dr. Shannon Curry, just over and over talking about how she's borderline, how she's histrionic, which we'll get into later. Yeah, a bit eye roll. Um, And just how she's wiping the floor with everybody. Um, Then after that, like I found only a few um, that were, I can't even remember his name now, but, um, the one that they called and he was talking about, um, all the narcissistic traits that Johnny was exhibiting and how that's related to DV. And again, it was just like, uh, I, I could only find one that was just his testimony and the rest of it was just like, this crazy man gets destroyed and you know, whatever. And I didn't even see anything from Dr. Like I could, I couldn't even find the testimony from Dr. Hughes. So <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the most important stuff in this trial is just being completely buried by this like absolute circus. Yeah, like why isn't it going viral on TikTok or YouTube or wherever? Um, hey, these are signs of domestic abuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good clip. You know, mm-hmm. she very clearly talks about signs of domestic abuse and what's what counts in uh, behaviors that they categorize to see if something's escalating, escalating or is a fatality risk. And mm-hmm. she was saying property damage is actually on the list of fatality. Um, I might be saying the wrong phrase, but it was something like that, like fatality risk, which is this person, like, what is the likelihood that this person could kill the other person? And she mm-hmm. said property damage is actually on that list of things mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, this is, this is getting to the point where someone might die. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, something else that's lost in this trial is because there's footage, there's video of Johnny doing that. You can yeah. see it. It's not something he can deny. He hasn't tried to deny it. He thinks it's funny. He thinks it doesn't matter. Um, and people, I think, have this idea, again, we just don't understand how abuse works, that it's fine to smash up the place around you, that yeah. that's not abusive. Or it's fine to, you know, if you're mad, 
you can call your partner whatever you want and it shouldn't count. Right. Mm -hmm. Or if you're drunk, it's, it's understandable that, you know, you might lose your temper, but like, that's fine. Or the thing, one of the, as a child of an addict, one of the things that's been very um, upsetting to me and like borderline triggering is Johnny's testimony. How, well, and all of his witnesses as well, how much he, they're constantly trying to reinforce this idea that when Johnny takes drugs and alcohol, he's the same and his Mm. personality doesn't change Mm -hmm. Mm. on two fronts, because on one, again, with abusers, uh, just because someone's acting a certain way in public doesn't mean shit about what they do in private. Mm -hmm. So that's triggering, right? Like, I don't care what he acted like drunk in front of people, Two, it's not true. (laughs) Let's just say that also. There's plenty of evidence that he did not act normal when he was um, loaded on whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, He may have sometimes because obviously you build up a tolerance, but like there's plenty of evidence that he wasn't. But their their team was trying to make this case that when he did get really bad, he would just pass out. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but that is also scary. And that is also, I'm not saying that means someone's abusive. I want to be very, very clear. Addiction does not inherently equal abuse, but I grew up in a house where I would come home and my mom might be passed out and it's scary. And it creates an environment where you can't trust the other person and you, um, start to not be able to take care of yourself because everything becomes about them and their moods and what they're on and what they're doing and how they're doing. And if they're going to be okay, And when Amber was testifying to all of that, I was like, this is true. Like, this is what it's like to be, to love someone who has an addiction issue. Mm -hmm. And so it's just really bothersome to me. I guess my point is like, one, it doesn't prove that he wasn't abusive just because he often would pass out or whatever. But two, it it just really, I think it misrepresents uh, substance abuse I think it gives people this idea. I think there's this idea for a lot of people that if you're not going crazy and if you're not like hurting other people actively, that, that you don't really have a problem. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, cause he keeps saying, oh, I was addicted to this one very specific prescription and then nothing else was a problem. And part of his case against Amber is that she was a nag, which is like, okay, dude, that's not. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) it's not like a jailable offense, but sure. Um, But he's trying to make this case that she was infantilizing him and treating him poorly because when he wanted to have a drink, he wanted to have a drink. He's a grown ass man. He should be able to have a drink. And it's like, but that is really, really, really uh, minimalizing what the reality of having a, a massive substance abuse problem like he does. He's had substance abuse issues since he was a young teenager This is a lifelong issue, you know, and I, I do feel bad for him in that perspective. Like, I don't know how he'll ever shake this. That is really deeply ingrained. It literally changes your brain chemistry. I do feel very bad for him that he's dealing with that, but to get up on the stand and have part of your defense be to minimize the reality of that, the reality of being drunk all the time and having that affect your personality or having it make you pass out. I think the little bit that the defense has gotten in about 
um, his children and how his relationship with his children has been damaged because of his substance abuse. I wish they were able to bring more of that in. Not that I want to see his kids dragged into it, but I think it, it just shows that like, this is a big problem. And he's trying to, he's trying to make it seem like he's just constantly in control. Everything's chill. And the worst thing that happens is he passes out. And it's like, it's just not true. And it's not true that if that is the case, that that isn't still affecting your life. So someone else with a similar substance abuse, abuse issue, you know what I mean? Can see that and be like, or people in general can see that and be like, oh yeah, if you're just passing out, like it's not a big deal. I grew up around a lot of functional alcoholics, you know what I mean? Who acted normal until the witching hour hit and suddenly they didn't act normal. Mm-hmm. And when I grew up around people who could put away a 30 pack by themselves in a night. I mean, the, you know, this is pretty severe <laughs> alcoholism, but you would look at them and be like, oh, they seem fine. They seem normal, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that they didn't have a problem or that that wasn't impacting their health their relationships. Hopefully Mm -hmm. that all makes sense. I just, I just feel that the way his team is going about representing his substance abuse issues is just very dangerous to Mm -hmm. everyone's understanding about how they work and is just very cruel to Amber, honestly, that Mm -hmm. she's being represented as a nag when it does seem from all the evidence presented that she was trying very hard to save his life and, Mm -hmm. and genuinely thought he might die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On top of, you know, the fact that she said these binges of his seem to uh, fuel the most violent attacks that he perpetrated on her. Mm -hmm. She also just genuinely thought he might like choke on his own vomit one night or kill himself or just overdose. You know, she, she was living with this fear every day. And I know my mom also excused her behavior as like, well, I'm happy. And then I pass out. Like, why is it a big deal? And it's like, cause you might fucking die because I don't know what I'm going to come home to. It's scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought it was so telling in that moment where Amber disclosed about the sexual violence with the bottle. Um, and then said about how, when she was leaving the most predominant, Thing, or one of the most predominant things on her mind was like is he going to be okay is he going to die like thinking that he might die and like I think that's like very telling so I think a lot of people can who have been through similar things can very much relate to that that fear where yeah and it's also a really a clear sign of abuse where you start putting away your own well-being where everything becomes about theirs and I also think um he does seem to take very little accountability for any of his actions because the whole narrative that the thing that she wrote was the reason for his downfall, but there seems to be so much evidence that he was already kind of blacklisted because of all this information about him being a drunk and him having addiction issues. And already he was kind of seen as like not very responsible. And yet, and yeah, and then um, this narrative that she's the reason for the destruction of his relationship with his kids and she's the reason that his life has gone to shit and stuff and it's like yeah there's no accountability for his own actions his own addictions and how that contributed to his life his career and his relationship to his kids mm-hmm. and it just contradicts his own testimony I mean he said his kids hated her so how did she ruin his relation you know but then he's saying they uh she influenced his kids to think that he had a problem or like you know, is influencing them, not just like they didn't like her. And so they weren't around him as much. He was saying she was like actively turning them against him. And it's like, 
that doesn't make sense, dude. <laughs> My mm-hmm. story doesn't line up. But yeah, I, I, that was a big, um, that was a big point for me throughout his testimony, even before we got to her, any of her witnesses or her testimony was just that he just consistently time after time after time took no accountability for anything. Mm -hmm. He would Mm -hmm. say something and then they would pull up a tweet. Um, this is a little, uh, tie into our next bullet point. Um, but you know, he would say something and then they would pull up a tweet and they're like, but you said this here. And he's like, Oh, what was a bad day? Yeah. Just like, didn't give a shit. Or he would say stuff like that was supposed to be private, not seen in public, but like, he wasn't contrite. He wasn't anytime he got caught in a lie, he just brushed it aside. He just didn't care. He just Mm -hmm. is not taking accountability. And as someone who did have so much more power in the relationship, it doesn't mean, you know, it's not impossible, I guess, that he, that he or someone of his stature could be abused by someone of her stature, you know, but he just at no point there just didn't seem to be any acknowledgement of the power dynamics and of what like a lot of his tweets a lot of the stuff he said to her a lot of his behavior like he I perfect example he was shown you know obviously they showed the video of him uh slamming all the cabinets in the kitchen and throwing stuff around and he just was like I was having a bad day. I just got some bad news. What's, what's the problem? Yeah. No no acknowledgement of like, oh yeah, that probably is scary for someone else. I don't think that means I deserve to be hit, but I can understand how that created a hostile environment. Something that you would want to see from someone who's like, I get it. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I, I get how things work and, um, you know, that's, I think that's why there's such a big component of recovery is taking accountability. Mm-hmm. And you see that with Johnny, he's, you know, nowhere in recovery doesn't seem to be, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that allegedly <laughs> don't sue us. <laughs> um, but he just, uh, you know, he just seems to be in that phase where he just cannot take accountability for anything yeah and you know they play recordings like they played this one that broke my heart and his team played it as like evidence on on his side because he had this narrative that she wouldn't let him leave when he wanted to leave an argument but he was disappearing on her he would just leave and like disappear and she wouldn't know where he was or what he was doing or when he would come back or even if they were still together. So they mm. played this clip of them having a fight and he's like, let, let me leave, you know, whatever he's trying to leave. And she's just begging him to stay. And she's saying, if you need to leave for like an hour, that's fine. Go take a break. But I don't know if you're coming back. I don't know if you're going to ever come back. I don't know if it's mm. going to be a few hours or a day or days. I don't know when I'm going to see you again. I don't know if we're okay. Mm-hmm. And it just broke my heart because that is a form of abuse too, is when you just, and this is why yeah. I, you know, I want to walk a careful line with substance abuse, but part of why it creates a dysfunctional environment is because by taking the substance, you're kind of doing that, whether you stay in the room with the person or not, you're kind of removing yourself. Mm-hmm. from the other person very abruptly and it feels really hard and very scary and sad when you love someone and they're just constantly leaving you and so you see that with him not only is he literally it, not only is he doing that with substances but he's also literally doing that he's literally just leaving her over mm-hmm. and over again with her not understanding what's going to happen if he's going to be okay if he's coming back and 
he just, he listened to that tape of her just crying, like begging him to, to let her know when he's coming back. And when he was asked to say, you know, what are you, what are you hearing in this tape? Like, how would you characterize what you're hearing? He calls her a banshee. He calls her like a screaming banshee who's uh, not letting him leave and is like scolding him and is mad at him because he was, you know, a, a full grown man wanted to have a drink or whatever. And I'm just like, dude, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how your lawyers let you testify in that way, but I guess it's working. I think they're just taking the, the angle of like, don't admit to anything. Yeah. And I don't think he would anyway. I don't mm. think he's capable of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That being said, should we talk about some gruesome tweets? Let's talk about his gruesome tweets because, yeah, um, this is definitely a place where he took absolutely no accountability and just said some shit like, oh, well, you know, I have a flowery vocabulary or something. He just played, made some snide joke about it. Which, first of all, if Amber was sitting there being all smarmy and snickering and, like, making jokes at the expense of the other t- uh, other side, you know giggling rolling her eyes like she would be just crucified absolutely i've seen people come after her because she's taking notes yeah like quietly taking notes and people are coming after her yeah Yeah, he used um my new trigger word is irreverent whenever a man says that they have a reverent sense of humor i'm like you're (laughs) fucking trash i just know this yeah So anyway, these texts, I think we were actually saying tweets earlier, but um, most of them are text messages, but they are incredibly gruesome. Catherine, I know you had written some down, so I don't know if you want to read any of them verbatim. Um, So the texts, um, he's described women as sluts, fat, ugly whores. In one, he said he would smack the ugly cunt around. after asking whether a worthless hooker had arrived. He described uh, Vanessa Paradis, his former partner, as a withering cunt. Uh, he described Heard, Amber Heard as the slippery whore that I donated my jizz to for a while. And then in a message to Paul Bettany, his friend, he wrote in 2013, which was, I believe, before they got married, um let's burn amber let's drown her before we burn her i will fuck her burnt corpse afterwards to make sure she's dead um which is just disgusting then he also sent bethany a message that said is it okay to put on a condom after the fact referring to when he had quote unquote a hooker um no i think he said hookers and animals in his hotel room I mean, if I just wear it for the rest of the day, like that works, doesn't it? Which is completely fucked because if you're in that kind of power dynamic with a sex worker and you're not using a condom, like Mm -hmm. what harm is that doing to that woman or those women in that situation who probably feel like they can't advocate for themselves, Mm -hmm. but probably want to. Um, So that's fucked on so many levels and then on the day after the incident that allegedly happened in the airplane um where he denies johnny completely denies kicking and slapping amber in any way um he sends a text to paul bettany and says 
I'm going to properly stop the booze thing, darling. Drank all night before I picked Amber up to fly to LA this past Sunday. Ugly mate. No food for days. Powders. Half a bottle of whiskey. A thousand red bull and vodkas. Pills. Two bottles of champers on plane. And what you get? And an angry aggro in June in a fucking blackout. Screaming obscenities and insulting any fuck who got near. I'm done. I'm admittedly too fucked in the head to to spray my rage at the one I love for little reason as well I'm too old to be that guy but pills are fine pills are yeah. fine just fucking kills me it's like <laughs> just stop doing drugs <laughs> he's always trying to say like certain things are fine and it's like yeah. they're not um yeah. I want to point out too that Injun is like Indian yeah yeah it's like a southern oh really yeah okay. it's like Anyway, so he's uh, he has many texts where he has like racist shit in them too. Yeah, yeah. Beyond, there's just absolute unbelievable misogyny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also said so many texts where he's referring to his monster child and how things got better once he locked his monster child away and the monster came out and blah blah blah. And he writes that off again, taking no accountability as just like. Oh, I was placating Amber by allowing for this word to be used for how I was in certain moments. But a monster is just mild. It's like, no, a monster is not something that, like a term that you would use lightly to describe yourself. He also had a text where he said to Bethany, I, of course, I, of course, pounded and displayed ugly colors to Amber on a recent journey, which pounded I I don't know if that's like colloquial for anything but to me does he mean like like physically hit Amber um by pounded who knows with him or doctor I don't know yeah yeah and he also has admitted to headbutting and kicking her and things like that via text or audio so yeah Mm. a lot of this stuff is actually like very clear from his messages it's also very interesting that there are several instances where he has sent messages or it's come up in the case where when he's not drinking he's like oh things were perfect and they both have said oh everything was great and perfect between in the relationship which I think just goes to show that when he's not on drugs or when he's not drinking like clearly the problem is with his drinking and his drugs because when he's not doing those things, everything seems to be good in a relationship. Not to mm-hmm. say that he's not then abusive, because it seems like he's constantly abusive. But yeah, to try and paint Amber as the one that is the problem in the relationship when things just magically happen to get better, when he's mm-hmm. not completely like, yeah, high or a drunk or yeah, yeah intoxicated. <laughs> yeah, there's just like these texts and all of this stuff just fucking kill me because um just the way that people talk about him as just like oh Johnny is this beautiful uh you know wonderful soul southern gentleman oh yeah southern gentleman he's just oh god he's just everything you know and there have been so many videos that have come out about like 
Johnny and Vanessa and just, oh, the love story that should have been and how terrible it, it, it was that uh, Amber seduced him and took him away from Vanessa, who should have been the love of his life. Meanwhile, he's calling her a withering cunt and an extortionist. And, saying, you know, it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, this man is a sickening misogynist. This woman is a beautiful model who's the mother of his children, who has done nothing but stand up and defend him through all of this and she's 10 years younger than him and he's calling her withering because she's aging like that just that just he speaks... calls amber fat several times as well right like this just like speaks to how he sees women like he's a fucking misogynist dude um and like yeah like all the hookers comments and everything and it's like okay first of all like, are you admitting to being a John? Because that in itself is like, fuck you, dude. Like, you're you're an exploiter of women. But secondly, it's like, he's going off, and we'll talk about his jealousy next, but, you know, he's going off on Amber all the time about, like, you're cheating with this person, you're cheating with that person. Um, and that is definitely abusive and a form of abuse as well. But, like, he's over here, like, texting his friend about, like, oh, should I wear a condom when I'm... You know, it's just like, what, what is this, you know? Yeah, just, and, and I mean, the gruesome, gruesome one of him talking about killing her and then fucking her dead body. I mean, like, how can you even joke about raping a woman's dead body? I mean, like, to me, this is the most, like, violent misogynist shit I've ever heard. And yet people are just like, Johnny's an angel. And like, all these young people are like, Johnny's so sexy. Johnny's so cute, you know? And it's like... This man is trash. Like, this man is disgusting. <laughs> he is Good disgusting. God. And again, I think also people are taking stuff out of, making assumptions maybe about timing of things. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. But I think for some, like, the the one about fucking her dead corpse, um, as Catherine pointed out, is not after these accusations came out. Mm-hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, well, if someone falsely accused, I've seen that in many comments, like, oh, if someone falsely accused me of doing this kind of thing, like, I probably would say that sort of thing about her too. And it's like, (laughs) this is when they were like, date, this was like during their relationship, he was saying this stuff. Yeah. This wasn't Mm -hmm. even, again, it wouldn't be excused. I've been fucked over by people and had people abuse me and stuff. I have never said, I'm going to fuck someone's burnt corpse. Because I was mad at somebody. Yeah. Yeah. After I've murdered them. Yeah. It's just disgusting. And there's, um, if anyone is as much of a nerd into this stuff as I am, I just read the entire UK judge's decision. It's like 129 pages. Um, I skimmed through the boring stuff, but uh, there's other texts in there that I think, I don't know if they will be included in this trial because I'm still catching up on all of it. But um, there, I thought what was very telling, there was this one text between him and his assistant, who I think's name is Nathan Holmes, if I'm remembering. And I, I don't, you don't know what the conversation was beforehand, but you get the idea that maybe Nathan was like, maybe I shouldn't get you drugs or, you know, <laughs> something to that effect. Um, because Deb would like often send him out to get drugs and alcohol for him. Anyway, Deb just fucking goes off on him. He's like, fuck you. You're fucking done. I'm not going to be told what to do. And Nathan just keeps texting back. And he's like, I didn't say anything. I don't know why you're like, why are you having this reaction? I love you. I worship you. He has to like keep sending him all these texts about like how much he like worships Johnny Depp. And then Johnny 
is just screaming, like all text screaming at him. Like you will not fucking tell me what to do. No one's Mm going to tell me what to do. I'm a fucking grown man. I'm going to do whatever I want. I won't be judged by you. I won't be judged by anybody. And, you know, Nathan keeps responding, like, I'm not judging you. I I don't know why you're mad right now. I don't know what's going on. And just keep like, oh, like, dude, I worship you and like, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, Johnny's like, I know, man, I love you. All right, bye. Mm. And it's like, I just, again, I don't want to, and we're going to talk about this, but I don't want to vilify personality disorders. But when uh, Dr. Curry was on the stand describing, (laughs) like, a personality disorder. I was just like, Johnny has literally uh, shown all of these symptoms in court, not yeah. even like from people's testimony and stuff, but like in court mm-hmm. and through his tags, like has shown this. And that is the kind of thing. Um, again, I'm not saying this is a personality disorder, but this like going from hot to cold, like, and mm-hmm. like yelling at someone. And then once they grovel enough, then you like give them your love back yes. is a very abusive dynamic. Yes. And mm-hmm. to me, seeing that he was doing that with his assistant, you can just see like that's how he treats the people around him that he pays to be around him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense of like people's testimony. And I think one of you brought it up, but something that has struck me from his side of the testimony versus Amber so far is that so many of his witnesses are like, I don't recall that. I don't recall that. I don't recall that over Mm -hmm. and over and over. They only Mm -hmm. have their very limited talking points that Mm -hmm. bolster Mm -hmm. Johnny's argument. And then they conveniently don't recall anything else. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very telling. And I think, yes, they probably have NDAs. They certainly have, you know, their entire, because Johnny like absorbs people. He doesn't just hire people. He brings them along with him. He lavishes them with gifts. He treats their families well. Like if he's working with someone, he'll probably fly their spouse and or their family out to be with them on set. You know what I'm saying? Like they, it's not just that they earn an income from this guy, but it's like, this guy is providing an entire lifestyle for all of these people. And it's all consuming. And so mm-hmm. I fully feel that these people probably legally can't say a lot against him, but just have enormous pressure to not mm-hmm. say anything against him. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's sick when you think he has fucking security guards that are there literally during his like personal time to protect him. Mm-hmm. Like there, he, uh, one instance where he got hit on the nose, I think it's one of the times that Amber admitted to hitting him. Uh, his, well, I, I can't remember everything's so conflated right now, but anyway, point is, uh, his, one of his security people testified that he got hit on the nose by Amber in front of the security guy. And Johnny turned around and said, this is your fucking fault to the mm-hmm. security guard. And now some people might be thinking, well, yeah, if you have a security guard, then like he should protect you from being punched. But imagine being in a relationship where the person that you're with has hired muscle mm-hmm. to protect him and not you. Yeah. Like what kind of dynamic are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. And again, we're supposed to believe that Amber had all the power and that she was just abusing him left and right. When he's literally has security guards, he had, they've interviewed like three or four people who are uh, in charge of protecting him. And one of them is dead so like wasn't interviewed 
I mean, he had people around him constantly whose entire job it was to just physically protect him. And then also from um, testimony and messages they have, it was also their job to protect his reputation. Mm -hmm. So in what case in that could Amber like have any chance of anything? Do you know how terrifying that would be to be in a room with a man who's abusing you and one or two giant men (laughs) who are there to protect him and not you? Yeah, Mm -hmm. completely. Um, Was there any, because I know, Nicole, you read the entire judge's statement from that UK trial. Was there any other like bits of evidence that you think stand out that could be mentioned here? I have a a quote from Vox that I think summarizes it quite well. Mm -hmm. Um, They wrote that in the UK trial, Heard submitted witness testimony, contemporaneous text messages, emails and diary entries and photographs of her bruises. Taken together, they demonstrated a clear pattern of abuse, most often when Depp was under the influence of drugs or alcohol in order to fake them. Heard would have had to spend years plotting to besmirch Depp's name and then that also um combined with the fact that johnny lost a a defamation claim against the son who he tried to sue for calling him a wife beater and that the judge of the london high court also ruled that 12 of the 14 alleged assaults took place and so yeah i think it all just shows like a very damning um, view but yeah nicole i don't know if you have any other Uh, interesting factors that you found um I think that was it I think mostly I really like the document because you get to just see the evidence laid out in a very clear manner without the objections coming through without you know just all of the hubbub of the trial and Mm -hmm. the tedium of the trial that can take away from what's really being said and I think if you look at it in that respect it's just so clear what happened like I I just don't see and I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying that that they were like on Johnny's side or they were neutral um until they read this document and then they were just like there's just you you just can't Mm. dispute it because the biggest thing and this was addressed within the document but yeah the biggest thing that his side was saying is that she's a gold digger and that all of this was um her plan the entire time to take him down and take his money. But I think it's really important for everyone to know that they did not have a prenup. So from what I understand and from what I've read online, she could have gotten up to like $32 million in the divorce. And Mm -hmm. she only pushed for seven. I think there was something she didn't get, like she wanted him to pay taxes on that. And he ended up not doing that, but, um, yeah, she walked away with $7 million and then she's given about half of that to, she pledged the entire amount to charity, but she was only able to give half and then she had to stop because she needed to use it to defend herself mm-hmm. in this case. Um, so I just think even that perspective is just very telling. I think if, a, you know, this, this person is claiming that their spouse was scheming against them literally from like basically the beginning of their relationship. Mm -hmm. He thinks that she was texting pictures of abuse to people in her life that were fake. (laughs) So she like got a makeup artist to come in and give her fake 
wounds or injuries that she was texting other people in case for the day years later that she would eventually divorce him. Mm. And then she ends up not even trying to get the amount of money that she probably could have gotten. Remember that she didn't even press charges. Like she's not the one who's been taking him to court over and over and over. Like she actually just took these photos seemingly to try to protect herself. But afterwards, like after this whole ordeal, she basically just slunk away with her couple of million and then wrote an extremely vague op-ed later just recounting her experience. I mean, like, is this, are these the actions of a criminal mastermind that has been plotting this for years and years and years? Especially when she does have the evidence. I mean, even just the photos that she took in Australia where he had written all over the mirrors and the walls and the blood on everything and her face. I mean, she has the evidence, which again has been well documented in the UK case where the judge did rule that 12 of the 14 alleged events did occur. So she had it, she didn't use it. (laughs) And, you know, the, the gold digger thing, how does that even make sense? Like, if you're a an actual gold digger, like don't you want to stay with your partner until they pass away so that you get all of their money? Like or just like live in luxury while you're still with them? Like I mean, you would think that it's just <laughs> such a trope. Cause yeah, like usually someone who wants um, I don't know. Yeah, it's just such a trope. Like <laughs> even what she could have walked away at, like $30 million is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But you know, Amber's a beautiful yeah, at the time, like, yeah, very young actress, like, you know, she ended up dating Elon Musk briefly, which, girl, we got to talk about your taste in men. But yeah. anyway, um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, like, yeah, if she's a gold digger, it's not that Johnny Depp doesn't have a lot of money, but it just doesn't make sense. I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, like yeah, she yeah. was, she was being flown all over the world. She mm-hmm. was living, had like, Johnny Depp has so many fucking properties. It's like shocking. He like owns an entire cul-de-sac and he owns an entire floor of a penthouse. Like and, and an island. Houses. And an island. Yeah. And those those are the ones that I remember. Um, yeah. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, wouldn't she just keep him happy? Yeah. It or if you know his his alcohol abuse and stuff is this bad, well. It is this bad, but like, let's say from his perspective, if she's nagging, why would she be nagging him to stop drinking and doing drugs? Right. Because wouldn't that just make him like out of his mind, she wouldn't have to bother with him and or he'll die and then yeah. she'll get all his money. It just, yeah, it just doesn't it make sense. sense. No, yeah. it doesn't make sense yeah. at all. And then also, yeah, the result of the divorce doesn't make sense. Like why would she get only 7 million when she could have gotten more and then give half of it away? And intend to give the, I do believe she would have donated all of it if she had been able to. Yeah. And there's also Ellen Barkin came Mm -hmm. forward and described Johnny to be an incredibly jealous and controlling partner. Which he admits to, by by the way. Yeah. Which is wild to me that he admits to that. And again, it's not framed as abusive. It's just like a quirk you know or again it's like almost romantic like oh I just Mm -hmm. you know just go crazy when she's working on film and it's like Mm -hmm. that's not romantic dude that's very abusive yeah yeah and he also threw a wine bottle across the room uh, at Ellen Barkin or near Ellen Barkin Mm -hmm. so and I also read that uh Jennifer Grey 
of Dirty Dancing fame, hello 80s. Um, <laughs> I guess they dated. I'm like, he fucking dated everybody. So I guess they dated somewhat briefly. And she said he proposed to her after two weeks and yeah. then like was disappeared and was like binge drinking or in doing drugs and whatever. But she was like, oh, he was just so unstable. And he like yeah. proposed to me after two weeks and then he was just kind of gone. And I'm like, see, this is a fucking pattern. Yeah. Like um, I was watching because again, like all these like videos are coming up of like, oh, Johnny and Monona and all this like stuff. And um, so I was watching one of them. And it said that Johnny had been married twice before even dating Winona. And he was 17 at the time. And he was 25, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, and he had been engaged to every single woman that he'd ever dated. And Amber said that too, that he put a, like, he took a foil off, um, I don't know, champagne bottle or something and Mm -hmm. put it on her finger like a few days. Yeah. In, I could be, it was like within the first few weeks for sure. But I think she said it was just like two days after they had started kind of officially dating. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like, this is extremely concerning stuff. And yeah, like, jealousy is extremely, extremely abusive. And as we said, like, you know, these people doing these diagnoses of Amber, and then just thinking nothing of this like violent jealous behavior um it's really really interesting and um um, kate moss was also 20 mm. years 20 years old when uh johnny started dating her and he was 31 at the time Mm -hmm. which uh, yeah everyone romanticizes but like i'm sorry but a 20 year old it's such just and a 31 year old like that is a huge difference in maturity level and like life experience and and considering the fact that this is like a repeated pattern of him going for these like younger women Mm -hmm. who are like just on the cusp of being legal I don't know it's just very creepy to me Mm -hmm. and um he's buddy buddy with Marilyn Manson (laughs) I mean that was enough for me which is like like, I I was like (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? Like, I went into this with an open mind, and then yeah. opening statements, they were like, and his best friend, Marilyn Manson. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you'll die. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Just so much. So, also, um, Paul Bettany, I didn't even care about you, but now you're on my shit list forever. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just like disgusting. I mean, I just I'm like, this is I don't know how anyone is out there in the public sphere being like, Oh, Johnny, what a little lamb that we have to protect at all costs. <laughs> like, good God. So yeah, and then Princess Weeks, uh, who Catherine mentioned made a fantastic video about this. Um, at the end of her video, she has about like 15 minutes of like myth busting all of the stuff that people are going around and saying um, about Amber, including like the shit on the bed and like uh, the finger cutting, which, again, is something that like, when I first got into this, and I was watching all the clip videos, People were sharing these these clips of this time that Dakota Johnson and Johnny Depp were sitting next to each other at some kind of a conference. And I guess Johnny is showing Dakota his finger and she looks down and maybe uh, asks him about it and makes kind of a concerned face. And um, all of the clips are like, oh, you know, these are the signs all along that we missed of Johnny's abuse. And I was like, oh my God, she cut his finger off. And then I get into the trial and I'm like, no, he cut his own finger off. 
Because <laughs> he was high, high as fuck. Like what? Yeah. What? What is going on in the world? I'm. It's like it's just. It's maddening to me. It is maddening to me. Anyway, I might insert that fifty minutes at the ends of this. Uh, <laughs> at the end of this podcast but it might be a quite a long podcast so um if not i'll just link the princess weeks video below because it's a very good one i would recommend watching the whole thing but yeah just like on this whole empathy thing right it's it's when men are considered the victims of these things there is this complete outpouring of love and empathy like we really are getting this narrative that it's poor little baby johnny he's such a beautiful soul we must protect him um you know and where is this energy for women victims you yeah. know mm-hmm. Thank you. where where is it <laughs> like it happens to a man and i mean this case could have been a really great moment to just discuss that like yeah men can be victims of domestic violence too and what are the implications of that and let's let's get into it let's have a nuanced conversation but instead it's just like yeah we just have so much care and so much compassion for men when they are victims and where is this care for women like we only really believe women well after the fact or if they've died like you know i've seen people like feminists posting that like the only good victim as a woman is a dead one because then it's like well i guess she's not lying uh because she fucking died but anyone else is obviously some succubus who is who is twisting this man around and trying to come for his life and um i just think it's really telling that people like kevin spacey the person who abused Terry Crews, like nobody is going to bat for these people. And I think it's largely because they abused men. And we assume that men are telling the truth. And when we think that men are being abused, our hearts break for them. And we have so much compassion and empathy for them. And we don't feel that way for women. It's just that a tale as old as time that like, yeah, these women are, are, are just liars and they're just they're just coming for these men um just for attention and and whatever just to take them down you know and i think it was interesting uh watching amber well johnny versus amber's testimony they spent so much time on johnny's relationship with his mother and you know just the dynamic uh growing up whereas with amber amber grew up in an equally if not more so abusive households but it was just kind of mentioned Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think that that was obviously like very intentional um because of because they knew that people would be like oh Johnny like yeah you had this really hard childhood and that's so sad and you know like Mm -hmm. everyone just wants Mm -hmm. to baby everyone wants a man to have a reason to be the way he is yes so that we can excuse his behavior forever and I am very guilty of this in the past you know it's a it's a it's a common mechanism under the patriarchy that if like a guy can just provide you with something sad Mm -hmm. you will literally like stay by his side forever Mm -hmm. and (laughs) excuse his behavior forever and I haven't seen one person talk about Amber's upbringing you know Mm -hmm. and I and I don't know why her lawyers didn't make more of it yeah I'm not saying it was a bad strategy or a good strategy I just you know I just think it's interesting maybe they kind of knew that like people wouldn't care as much so they decided to get more quickly into what happened to her with Johnny and I think uh, 
it's more likely that people would be like oh that's why she's crazy because she had crazy parents like that's why she's got like these personality disorders so they wouldn't Mm -hmm. use it as a sympathy thing they would use it as a way to pathologize her further yeah it's so sad but so true honestly it's like oh yeah johnny he had this super sad childhood so that's why Uh, you know, he can't control his substance abuse and then his, I mean, alleged, but there's so much evidence (laughs) to show that, you know, this other thing comes out of him when he's doing this. And, um, I mean, yeah, even just the verbal assaults and the property damage itself, right? It's like, oh yeah, he does all these scary, abusive things, but (laughs) that's because of his past. And, you know, it's, it's like, I know that he's obviously working and he's been working on his addiction um, and trying to get this kind of emotional stuff under wraps. Um, But I mean, I really don't think, I mean, uh, over and over in the trial, we hear about how much Amber is going to therapy. Um, Like how much is, how much is Johnny doing that? Right? Like we, we don't really hear much about that. And that's just such another trope of like men, like, yeah, they have this one sad thing happen to them and then they don't actually do what it takes to resolve that. Like they don't go to therapy because that's, that's weak or that's not, they just, you know, it, it's like, well, yeah, it happened. This is just who I am now. I'm just the sad, broken thing. And there's just, yeah, there's just no accountability for um, anything that happens subsequently. And Amber, of course, you know, she went through so much trauma as a child as well. And people, different people handle trauma differently. So, you know, she didn't develop substance abuse issues. And certainly she probably developed like other bad habits and coping mechanisms as well. But, um, I mean, just certainly not (laughs) to the extent that we've seen, like, the abuse coming from Johnny in this case. So yeah, it's just really sad how this gets weaponized against, uh, against women again. And mm-hmm. well, and it also just made her, uh, it, it groomed her to be an enabler, yeah. which is exactly yes. what happened to me. And I, and I feel like that their relationship makes total sense to me in that respect. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It makes total sense. And they were, um, I think one of the psychologists was talking about that, that, um like intergenerational trauma especially when it comes to abuse can lead to either perpetuating this violence um uh, or enabling it and accepting it right and the fact that like her mom she she knew to tell her mom about this because she knew that her mom very much understood that dynamic and understood wanting to stay with somebody who was terrifying you um is yeah definitely very telling so and I think it's overlooked, um, at least in the public narrative. I don't know if it's been covered in the trial, but uh, it, like Johnny's backstory gives him so much sympathy, but it also can explain his misogyny. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. like, it makes sense that he fucking hates women because yeah. he clearly does. Yes. He hates women. Yeah. You cannot read his texts and not immediately see that he fucking hates women yes mm-hmm. and he wants to control them that's why he finds young starlets up-and-coming mm-hmm. actresses who he can you know have this kind of power over 
mm-hmm. and have this high profile relationship that makes him look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you ha- he has total control. And then the women who I think gained some level of control left, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, Amber, I think largely because of her background stayed. Exactly. And yeah. even their relationship wasn't that long. I think it was, what was it like four years, maybe mm-hmm. start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, fuck the shit that happened in that time. Yeah. And everyone online, like these horrible commenters, <laughs> the comments on everything I'm reading are just absolutely horrifying by the way. I, I would actually love to just read some out at some point. Um, but everyone's going off on Amber being like, well, if it was so bad, why did she stay? Um, and no one ever asks that about Johnny. And we know that people stay because of trauma and for, you know, many complex reasons. Um, but no one's saying like, oh, well, if Amber was such a horrible person, a horrible nag, such a drag to be with, was verbally abusive, all the time and whatever why did johnny stay why did johnny stay until she left him and again i mean victims have complicated reasons for staying but it's just interesting that that's always being asked of amber why does she stay why does she stay when johnny's team is trying to say that he was the victim the whole time so why did he stay why is no one asking that yeah yeah i also think it's so damaging as well that it's really perpetuating this narrative that abusers look as and act a certain way that they're always these brutes and these inherently evil people that you would easily be able to spot as abusers like anyone would know just from looking at them when I think the Me Too movement has tried to do and did a really good job of trying to show that anyone can be abuser like the church priest who everyone loves the like the family man who seems like perfect, the community volunteer, like it doesn't matter how charming or gentlemanly or um, attractive you may be or how loved, you can still be an abusive person. But yeah, it's just really feeding into this narrative of like, oh, it's just a few bad apples, which then obviously that then individualizes the issue of violence in general because Mm -hmm. you perpetuate this idea that it's just like a few inherently evil people that everyone knows is evil then you it stops making it like a conversation about the systemic issue of patriarchy and how every person is inculcated with that and so like even the most amazing um men in the eyes of like society are riddled with okay I don't want to say all men but you know what I mean (laughs) like most men are still riddled with this um misogyny and like often hatred of women and violence towards women and but yeah people don't want to or at least this narrative is perpetuating this this idea that no it's just a few individuals rather than drawing attention to the systemic issues around this and to your point Mexi about you know this could be a good conversation this could be this trial could be a good way to have broader conversations I think like there there are so many conversations that are being missed in this that being one of them like the patriarchy and also just about the criminal justice system as as well we're kind of having this glorification of um this this like hero versus villain narrative and like let's get justice and almost as if this is like 
um, yeah, like how amazing the justice system is, how amazing this, these lawyers are on this one on one side, and how terrible on the other. And and mm-hmm. it's like, could you know, couldn't we have conversations about the fact that like no one like is Johnny being healed by this? Is Amber being healed by this? Is this really what true justice looks like? Do do we want to be having a system where? people who used to love and care about each other and got married to each other are having to sit across the room from each other in like this public way and um, are we really glorifying uh, the cartel system here surely we mm-hmm. ha- we're having conversations about how sexist and racist and like a slavery system the criminal justice system is and now we're like reinforcing that it's actually good um and there's there's just like so many broader conversations I feel and yeah, like you said, Nicole, about even domestic violence, like what it actually looks like and let's raise awareness and um, and just all of these things that, just, that it's just like not happening. Instead, it's just um, completely about this like villain versus um, non versus um, hero narrative and just perpetuating all these like misogynistic sexist tropes and like completely like shitting on the Me Too movement. So it's like... Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just so frustrating. Which yes. I want to point out, Johnny did himself in his testimony, came mm. for the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. So that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah, I really I really want to talk about the way Me Too is being dragged um, yeah. throughout the case. Um, so, yeah, because, and like you said, um, Catherine, it's definitely really problematic to be individualizing this and treating it as just like well every single case is a he said she said you know that there this isn't a systematic problem that we're facing as a society 80 percent of women have been sexually assaulted at some point in their lives but only two to five percent of reported sexual assaults turn out to be false um but because of our fucked up misogynist society we seem to care more about the two percent of men who may be falsely accused and of course it's terrible to be falsely accused like no one is saying that that is not terrible but we care more about that two percent than we do of the 80 percent of women who are dealing with systemic violence right Mm -hmm. um and it's important to like note because i know percentages statistics sometimes people like blank out but like two it's not two percent of all sexual assaults it's two percent of the two to five percent that even get reported yes so we're like talking mm-hmm. a tiny fraction. It's not, it's not like 2% of women who are assaulted falsely report. Mm-hmm. I just want to make it clear that it's like this tiny fraction of women who are assaulted falsely report because the tiny fraction even report at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it, it's still the case that the majority of domestic violence and abuse happens at the hands of men towards women. Um you know, I was going to save this for the end as a little rant, but, you know, like domestic abuse and domestic violence is such a bedrock of patriarchy. And this goes back such a long time. Um, it was legally sanctioned for men to beat their wives. Um, you know, uh, Federici talks about how it was legally sanctioned for them to rape and gang rape low, low class women. Um, and just go to brothels and whatever, and just have access to the bodies of marginalized women whenever they wanted. But when you exactly like when you are physically bigger than your partner, which most men are to most women, 
then of course, like if, if someone is not doing what you want to do, you can just end that with violence. And then when men get together and make laws that, that sanction that, I mean, that is a huge part of maintaining patriarchal power and violence because yeah, women, you guys are belonging to your fathers or your husbands. And if you step out of line, they can do whatever the fuck they want to you. They can beat you. And when you're a woman, like, yeah, you're, you're living in that state of fear all the time. You, you're made to know your place because you know that it will be sanctioned against you. And obviously like things have changed, but, um, the majority of domestic violence is still deeply connected to patriarchy. Um, 90% of fatal domestic violence is committed by men. Um, you know, and, and we know that like women victims can't leave as easily as men, um, especially if they are moms, if they're trans women, if they have fewer resources, lower earning potentials, more responsibilities. So yeah, I mean, like this is a systemic problem. And I feel like there's so much undoing of the progress that's been made during me too right now. And just reverting back to this, this idea that like, oh yeah, Me Too has gone too far. Men are the real victims here. You know, like the worst thing that can happen is for a man to be accused instead of the worst thing that can happen is for a woman to be fucking violated, you know? And bringing up the Terry Crews thing again, I mean, in the middle of the Me Too movement, when Terry Crews came forward and told everyone about his abuse, you know, that, that wasn't, he wasn't taking away from the Me Too movement. He, he didn't have to drag Me Too in order to talk about the way that he was abused and victimized. He just came forward and, and was like, yeah, Me Too. And at that time, we actually did have a conversation that I thought was productive about the fact that so much of this has to do with hierarchy and power dynamics. And within, you know, under capitalism, there are situations where there are power dynamics where men will also be very vulnerable to abuse. I'm like, that's an, a very important conversation to have. But I mean, I just remember that so clearly, like, like that didn't have to take away from Me Too. So why is it now that Johnny Depp, who is saying that he is in fact the victim, like, why does that have to take away from the rest of this movement and everything that we know about systemic domestic violence? And I just think the implications for survivors are really serious. Um, Catherine, you were saying that people were, um, you know, pulling out, trying to pursue justice through the legal system after watching this case. Um, and yeah, it's like the, the vitriol that I'm seeing is not just towards Amber. It's like towards all survivors. It's towards all women. It's, it's like, it's so violent. Yeah. Um, the Dr. Jessica Taylor, a psychologist specializing in sexual violence and victim blaming, um, said that victims currently awaiting case hearings are considering retracting or pulling out after witnessing the amount of harassment that Amber is receiving. And yeah, I, I think it can't, can't be underestimated the, the impact this is having on victims who not only in terms of them coming forward to report, but also just wanting to speak to it to family or friends or to anyone, because they would probably just think I'm going to get ridiculed, laughed at, going to get no support whatsoever. And considering just how difficult it is anyway to ever have come, ever come forward regardless. And now we're seeing this like mass onslaught to Amber. And most people are probably thinking there's absolutely no way that I ever want to go 
to court because like this is what's gonna um happen to me and i i can't even imagine the amount of ideological radicalization that's happening of young men and boys against women and how much this is just like like you said fueling men's rights in cells and the whole manosphere in general mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's deeply disturbing and especially for like more marginalized people because if this is happening to who is someone who's supposed to be the epitome of um what a, a usual what a believable victim is like like white cis conventionally attractive uh woman who's like privileged oh like she's normally the type of victim that usually would be believed although I mean obviously she isn't as likable as the usual victim narrative but at the same time like what are women of color thinking looking at this what are poor women thinking looking at this like like or a non-cis women like what what kind of impact is that having like most people are probably thinking if this kind of vitriol is happening to someone in her position like god knows what would happen to me if I ever came forward I was just also going to quickly mention that Nicole Federer a, a sociologist who studies sexual violence um basically talked about which I thought was really interesting how this is leading to a whole new form of abuse being able to emerge and like forming a new blueprint for a legal form of abuse Mm -hmm. and um, she says I'm quoting a defamation suit offers a perpetrator a deepening of the power disparities in the relationship and face-to-face contact with the survivor and defamation cases are often a punishment for leaving and yeah like I'm sure there's many abusers out there who can now be like oh, if you dare come forward, I'm going to pull a Johnny on you. I'm going to make a defamation case. Oh, you saw what happened to Amber. This will happen to you if you come Mm -hmm. forward. And like, it is opening up a whole new like legal playbook for abusers to silence victims. Mm -hmm. Yeah, didn't you say that like Marilyn Manson is now thinking of suing his victims? Yes, I believe so, yeah. And Johnny's BFF. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and yeah and it's also like a really important um, cultural moment in terms of like there's rumors that Harvey Weinstein's convictions could be overturned and then Bill Cosby is out of jail on a legal loophole and like you know this is like a really important (laughs) cultural moment at the and with like Johnny's situation happening like Mm -hmm. that's just going to give them more leverage to uh, be able to yeah like do whatever they to be able to get free and no one like say anything about it and uh, yeah it's scary it is scary and I do think it is a really important cultural moment because it's like all these people who have been yeah just these these incels these manosphere guys these men's rights activists and just just regular dudes who are feeling like oh you can't even you can't do anything anymore. You can't even hit on a woman <laughs> inappropriately anymore. Um, who are just desperate for 
um, you know, one of these men who they respect and admire to not be an actual abuser, or they don't give a shit if they are actually an abuser or not, just they're just desperate to see, um, you know, this a, a case where it's like, no, the man was the victim and the woman was the, the horrible one, right? People are just absolutely clinging to this. And it's like this one case, even if like Amber was the clear abuser, like this one case would just completely undo you know, everything that we just talked about and just completely negate the systemic nature of what is actually going on um, and just prove that we shouldn't listen to women. We don't need to take a look at this. We don't need to worry about this. We don't need to examine our own behavior. We don't need to examine our biases. We don't need to talk about patriarchy. Um, just throw it all out. Like people are just so desperate for this um, that it's really clear, like, and it's really showing in people's biases. And yeah, I mean, people constantly bring up um that like uh amber hit him too which like yeah we know that that's true but i think this idea of like mutual abuse is definitely flawed and it's not something that actually usually happens um in a dynamic where there's especially where there's very unequal power dynamics um you know there is like even if there is mutual you know physical violence that can occur it is usually still like one person who is doing like the bulk of the abuse and then like one person who is responding um because after being in that situation for a long time like you know you'll you'll do what you need to do or you'll do what you think you need to do um or you just get twisted up in it right so I, yeah, yeah and there's i mean that's part of the misconception about abuse as well and i think this is where i think this is a large part of amber's problem with public perception is that they think that in order to be abused, you have to be like this meek, broken down person. Mm -hmm. And it's like, certainly, and I don't mean to, to negatively characterize, you know, someone who is um, going to take a survival approach that's more placating and trying to, um, maybe remove themselves or like be very diminutive because that is cer certainly a survival mechanism that's just as valid as anything else. But I don't think people understand how many victims actually fight back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was in an abusive relationship that was not physically abusive, but I can tell you, like, I, I, I was not someone who just like, I, I certainly did just like Amber did like have a lot of times where I would try to de-escalate and like apologize and just try to keep things from blowing up, but I'm someone who bites back, you know, mm -hmm. and I think people just can't wrap their heads around. Well, if you're, because people equate that with strength, mm -hmm. which is its own whole problem. Um, but people, I think the thought is like, well, if you're strong enough to fight back, then you're strong enough to leave. And it's like, first of all, none of these things are strength, like, like the, just phrasing it in that way is just very problematic in and of itself. But I don't think people understand, like, there's plenty of spicy people who are like, oh, if you're going to give me shit, like, I'll give it back. Or if you're going to hit me, I'm going to push you back or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever. And mm -hmm. it's a very unhealthy dynamic, obviously, but it doesn't mean that you're not being, you're not the one being abused. Right. And I think that that is just very confusing for people. Like, honestly, it kind of even bothers me that we're all, and I mean that like globally, like everyone who's kind of on Amber's side, still having to like 
bring her to task for the times that she hit him or even yeah. say like, that's not okay. Which like, I've been doing it too. I'm like, well, it's not okay. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, just in the context of the life that she was living and the threat that she was under and the abuse that she was suffering, allegedly, um, <laughs> I, it's just, a, I'm just, I guess trying to say like, it's just as valid a response mm-hmm. as like falling to the floor and crying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's what we assume a, a beaten woman is going to do is fall to the floor and cry. Mm-hmm. If she hits back <laughs> or if she ber- verbally humiliates him, berates him, instigates things. Cause these are also like kind of key buzzwords that Johnny's team has been using that she would like instigate fights a lot. Yeah that she somehow deserves it and Mm -hmm. is asking for it and therefore is not a victim or Mm -hmm. that she's that that abuse is equal to the abuse that he was doing but -hmm. people don't get that like after long-term abuse you it's it's like how women like women who do abuse often do abuse like their children like their male children because you find these ways to kind of try to reclaim power you also have no respect for the other person in a lot of ways, right? Like you've gotten to the point where you've lost this respect. And so, yeah, you can get nasty because you you're like, when she's calling him a fat washed up actor, she's trying to reclaim some level of power. She's trying to put him in his place yeah, and remind him what he is because she doesn't have the power. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. But people mm-hmm. hear that and then they think, oh yeah, well, she's uh, the phrase like giving as good as she got has come up a few times in the trial. And it's just such a, I don't know. It just, it just is very difficult for me as someone who's experienced this like chronic cyclical abuse from somebody that is just crazy making to know, like the only time I've hit someone in my entire life was this person. Mm -hmm. And it was very mild. Like I like tapped his arm, basically. He never hit me. So I just, when I'm listening to her testimony, his testimony, and just the way it's being framed, it just hits me like, okay, yeah, it's not good to hit someone, but like that framing doesn't even make sense when you're in the mm-hmm. middle of this fucking chaos. You know what I mean? Right. Like to be in the middle of four years of chaos and then have someone be like, but that one thing that you did yeah. is tisk, yeah, is really difficult. And I think probably as a victim, like that's one of the most exhausting things. And it it's a thing that would maybe keep me from pressing charges or testifying, you know, because it'd be like, okay, yeah, I did this one thing. Like, I, I don't want to talk, you know, it's just yeah. like, it's mm. not a thing. I'm not someone who hits people. I'm not someone who um, screams at people, you know, like the only time in my life I've truly raised my voice was with this person. Like, I'm just, I was not myself with him, mm-hmm. but you get, and like, your point, Catherine, about just, you know, the entire carceral system and the entire legal system, like that's what a trial is though. A trial is finding that one time that you stoop mm-hmm. down to their level. Cause you're just so fucking sick of it. Mm-hmm. And then blowing that up to be like a characterization of you when you're like, I don't even recognize who that was at all. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't even recognize what I became within the context of that relationship. And now I've got to answer for this thing I did in the middle of a situation that was scary and infuriating and confusing and, and has no bearing on my life now. Well, like has no like relevance in my life now. And it's just, 
sucks. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I just hate what trials do to people's trauma. Yeah. And, and the way that we try to like characterize human behavior as if it's this cleanly characterizable thing, it just isn't, mm-hmm. you know? you sometimes you do shit and you don't even know why you did it. <laughs> it just mm-hmm. and it, and if you're in a situation where someone's just hounding you, I mean she talked about them having arguments that would last like 36 hours. Mm. My ex would have arguments with me that would last like 3 to 6 hours and I can tell you by the end of them I couldn't think straight. There mm-hmm. there was mm-hmm. no whatever I did in those times like it just you just you just are just you can't even think straight. You just don't know what you're doing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're reacting to this other person who is literally intentionally pushing your buttons and keeping you stuck in a situation that you cannot leave. And I just think it's kind of like sleep deprivation or like solitary confinement or a lot of these things that we want out from the outside think that we know how we would act in a certain situation or we know what this experience would be like. And it's like, until you've gone through it, you have no fucking clue. Mm-hmm. You literally have no fucking clue. And a trial asks that all of us pretend that we have every fucking clue because mm-hmm. we've looked at like some edited redacted text messages, right? Or we've heard testimony that like has been objected to 75 times. It's like, there's no way that we actually know and can mm-hmm. understand mm-hmm. what was happening for her in those situations. But we can look at overall, again, I don't like it in a trial scenario, but I think we can look at what we know of the situation and say, yeah, abuse happened here. Mm-hmm. And maybe she wasn't the perfect victim. Maybe she like, maybe she said abusive things back and maybe she physically responded. Okay. <laughs> but if you look at the whole relationship, she was chronically abused and that will change your personality. Mm-hmm. And also she might be a shitty person. I've looked at the list of people she's dated and I'm like, girl, yeah. I don't think we'd get along. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't absolutely think- not. I think she's a good Texan girl. I think she's probably quite conservative. I think she has, even for a queer person, seems to have some ideas about gender roles that I wouldn't agree with. You know, who knows? Like, I I don't think that, I think that's the problem too, is like oftentimes these abuse cases come down to someone being good or bad. Mm -hmm. I do think Johnny Depp is a bad person. Yeah. I would feel at this point, feel comfortable saying that. You know, but Amber Heard might also be a bad person, but not, or, or, you know, someone that I just would not get along with and would not agree with politically. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't mean she's not a victim. Yeah. Yeah. He's allowed to be a flawed victim, but she isn't. He's allowed to be a bad Southern gentleman. (laughs) I mean, anyway, yeah, just the characterization of him and he just gets called out on failing to meet this characterization time and time again and he just shrugs it off and the public allows it yeah. you know and the public like helps uh to build that mythology around him on his yeah. behalf even though all of the evidence points to otherwise and then amber's there she writes on a sticky note and people are like i literally you guys i literally read a comment under <laughs> one of the trial replays i was watching where someone said I don't know, but you know, when I cry, I breathe through my mouth and she's been <laughs> breathing through her nose. I'm just saying. And I was like, wow, 
Yeah. Wow. The yeah. orifice that she's breathing through while she's crying is what's giving her villainy away. Yeah. <laughs> just like this is the world we're living in. This is the world that she is trying to like prove her case against. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> It's so fucking misogynist and upsetting. It's just exhausting. It's exhausting. I don't know how she's doing it. I don't know how I don't know either. Testified, testified for the UK trial, gave a deposition for this trial. Now is testifying has had to sit through it. I I don't know how she's like standing. Honestly, I don't know Mm -hmm. either. I don't know either. Oh, yeah, it's unbelievable. And who knows how it's going to turn out. But um, like we were just saying, I mean, like, if she wins, I mean, it's gonna be a shit show. Johnny Depp's stands are already harassing literally everybody that has to do with this trial um, that is in any way pro Amber. Yeah, she's had to hire security. She's had people literally following her home to her house. Yeah, Mm. yeah. It's it's unbelievable. And then like, yeah, all the incel manosphere people are going to just take that to bolster the completely false claim that courts always side with women, no matter what, which is the exact opposite <laughs> of what is true. Um, which if she loses, though, she owes $50 million. And the manosphere is going to be like, see, yeah. she's a fucking liar. Yeah. And therefore, mm-hmm. me too is bullshit. Exactly. Never believe women. Women are treacherous. Either and, way. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Either way. Yeah, there's actually no winning. And again, I think that this is one of those things that like in 10 years, there's going to be like a bunch of documentaries about like, what happened with the Amber Heard and like how, yeah, just how completely fucked up and horrible this was. Yeah, I saw um, somewhere um, 4 million people have signed um a petition a change.org petition to get her off aquaman 2 yeah it's so fucked. which is way more like brett kavanaugh the the Mm change.org thing to get brett kavanaugh off was like 150,000 yeah yeah like cool 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 yeah yeah and i just think as well if we're talking about abuse dynamics the fact that johnny made this a public live stream event he must have known that this would be the impact it would have on Amber. It's like, like literally like he's trying to completely mm-hmm. destroy her life. Like well, and yeah. he, he warned was- her. He told her, like, if this goes to court, it's going to be bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and literally, like, if that doesn't speak to Johnny's like, character, I don't know what does. Like, mm-hmm. um. Yep. I also really worry about like the impact this has on um, the idea of like what a like we talked about what a real victim is supposed to look like because I don't know I just keep seeing all these comments on YouTube videos that like I'm a victim of domestic violence and Mm. I can't talk about my experience without crying my eyes out and um, I'm a victim of domestic violence and like even though it happened 50 years ago I don't act like she does or I I wouldn't look at the jury whilst I'm giving my testimony and like all of this like narrative about what you're how you're supposed to act how you're supposed to cry what and it and it's sad because it's coming a lot of it comes from people who are claiming to have experienced violence themselves which I think like is a lot of internalized misogyny probably or just like internalized stereotypes of what you're supposed to do and act like as a victim 
but I when I was um, giving my testimony I was looking at the jury I was smiling and laughing throughout most of my testimony because it's just what I do when I'm feeling awkward and it's also just incredibly ableist because yeah for me my smiling laughter is like part of my autism I think it's like not having what most people would consider like the emotional the correct emotional responses for different situations but yeah it's like if you can't fit into the societally expected script of what a victim is supposed to look and sound like then you're basically screwed and like what that does for people yeah with um disabilities or like yeah like neurodivergences and things like that I think is uh, really toxic and I just don't think we should ever be playing into this narrative of what a real victim looks like because then when your brother or, or sister or your friend comes out and says I'm victim of violence like no you're not you don't look like uh, the, the victim <laughs> you don't sound like you haven't been crying and sniveling like mm-hmm. you're not like uh, yeah like how does that impact our whole view of victims mm-hmm. yeah and like you know is johnny doing any of that stuff like is he sniveling and crying and breathing out his mouth when he's crying yeah it's just like it's just like yeah Yeah, which hole is he crying out of yeah (laughs) it's really just like don't yeah like don't believe victims unless they're men that's like just the message to take away from this anyway thank you both for this wonderful conversation there's so much that we didn't get to that we wanted to talk about including the disturbing ableism of the case and the diagnoses of amber specifically with histrionic disorder which is super sexist literally cannot believe that was said in an open court i was like in 2022 wow yeah (laughs) so ridiculous um we also want to talk about the problems with the criminal justice system when dealing with domestic violence and sexual assaults we want to talk about men as victims and actually talk about that seriously yeah and and just definitely a lot of other things so we are going to follow this conversation up with another conversation next month so at the end of june on a little to the left which is our sex stream channel where we do monthly streams um so i will let you all know when that comes out i might actually just repost the audio here if people are interested so you'll have that second part of the conversation here as well i think that probably would make the most sense so stay tuned for that (laughs) but i hope that you will have the verdict by then i believe oh my goodness yeah yeah okay so and all of the testimony will be out Um, yeah so yeah it should be interesting and yeah i definitely want to touch on like the queer phobia aspect (laughs) of johnny's (laughs) behavior and I think there will be a lot of stuff for us to go over. Yes. Yeah. So definitely stay tuned for that. And otherwise, I hope that you have at least taken something from this conversation and are armed with a bit more um, nuance to be able to push back against the extremely damaging uh, and, you know, just horrifying public discourse on this issue and how it's being used to just throw so many important issues related to me too just completely under the bus and um 
yeah, just uh, I'm just really grateful that we had the opportunity to talk about this. Thank you both for coming on, and uh, we'll see you next month with a follow up. Thank Bye, you everyone. for having us. Bye.